Last Sunday, I named some people for you on my top 10 list of people that influenced me from my home church. And of all things, I got a note from one of them last month. And it was in response to a note that I had sent. And listen to what this man and his wife wrote. Thank you for the nice note you took time to write to us. You've been on our hearts and minds since the day that we received it. Your parents were such special people in our lives. They were so consistent in their testimony as they lived life inside and outside of the church. It was a privilege to be able to be a blessing to your family. Isn't this the incredible thing about the church? Isn't this the incredible thing about the church? I wrote to thank them for what they had done for us, and they wrote back to thank my parents for what they had done for them. And I thought about that. That's the church. That's the church. One family influences another family, and then that family turns around and influences the kids from the first family. Isn't that the church? That's the church. Do you know the most meaningful sentence in this note to me? You've been on our hearts. You have been on our hearts. Who talks that way? Families do, don't they? That's family language. Now, remember last Sunday as we were looking together at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we saw the definition of a church. A church is a Holy Spirit-created body. That's what a church is. And because we all possess the same Spirit of God, we have a supernatural relationship with each other that is actually as close as a family. Now, that has huge implications for our church work and church lives together, doesn't it? It has huge implications and the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 goes into those implications. Now last week we saw the first two. The first one is, no believer is inferior. And the second one we saw was, God's sovereign wisdom determines our place in the church, and so we accept the role that he has assigned to us. Well, now this morning, I want to look at implications three and four, and so I invite you to take your Bibles with me, and let's turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as I take us back again to this message that we've entitled, The Church is the Body of Christ. And let's look at how the Apostle Paul works out these implications for our lives. Now, here's the third one. No believer is superior. This morning we are sitting amongst the body of equals, if we all know Christ as Lord and Savior. And no believer in the church is superior. Now, look at verse 21 with me. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, 
which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Now, I want you to notice as we read these verses, there is a change in the comparison. In verses 15 and 16, we saw matched parts of the body. The foot matches the hand, and the eye matches the ear. But now when we come to verse 21, these are unmatched parts. Uh, the eye does not match the hand as a parallel part, and the head does not match the feet as a parallel part. Now, uh, listen to this. In the former matching, you have people that feel inferior in the church. But here, it's an attitude of superiority, isn't it? The head feels superior to the feet. The eye that is in the head feels superior to the hand. Let me ask you, what happens when we feel superior to others? What happens when we say, I'm above you, you may need me, but I do not need you? Did you notice that twice in verse 21? I have no need of you. Now, you know what? These uh, personification of body parts, they amuse us, don't they? How many of you remember the thing on the Adams family? Remember the thing? It was this disembodied hand that lived in a box, and every once in a while it would peek out, and it would act like a person. And that's what we call slapstick humor. The reason it's so funny is because it's ridiculous. But I want to say to you this morning, there is nothing funny about self-sufficient Christians who think they are above others. Amen this morning? There's nothing funny about that. One of the things we need to understand about the city of Corinth was it was a Roman colony. And as you study the history of Rome, you know that there was a very clear pecking order in Roman colonies. In fact, there were two stratas of society that actually had names. There was the honorable strata. And I think you know who they were. They were those who were wealthy, they were educated, they were well-born, they had upward mobility. And then, can you believe this? There was a humble strata. And you can guess who was in that strata. They were poor, uneducated, they were low-born. And for most of those folks, there was no possibility of upward mobility. Now, you know what? Don't we expect that in the world? I mean, don't we expect there to be uh, in the world people who feel they're above others and you can't move out of your caste into another caste? But it had filtered into the church. And that's the tragic thing here. And notice the attitudes that this spawned. The honorable strata in the church at Corinth viewed the humble strata, notice it, as weaker, verse 22, as less honorable, verse 23, 
as even unpresentable. Verse 23. You know what? When you think someone is unpresentable, you know what that means? You are embarrassed to be around them. You're embarrassed to be seen in their presence. Never forget, as a teenager, I had a neighbor, lived right next door, said to me and a couple of my friends one day, I'd never want to be seen downtown with you. Can you imagine having a neighbor like that? He was full of himself. And, and think of somebody saying to you, you are so beneath me that I would never want to be seen with you in the presence of prominent people. Now we expect that in the world, but when it shows up in the church, would you not say with me that is a despicable thing? It is a shameful thing. In one of the churches that I was a part of, uh, we had a lovely Mexican lady who had immigrated from Mexico. And one day she was in the lobby of the church uh, visiting with a very prominent member of the church and another person came up, sort of took over the conversation and just spoke to the prominent person, totally ignored this Mexican woman. When this lady was done with the conversation, she said goodbye to the prominent person and totally ignored the Mexican lady. And she was humiliated. And later as she recounted this to me, do you know what she said? It rings in my ears. She said, what am I, chopped liver? What am I, chopped liver? Would you agree with me that when we treat any other Christian like chopped liver, we are denying the presence of the Holy Spirit in that person's life? Of course we are. Let me ask you this question this morning. What are some of the ways that we might make other Christians in the church feel like chopped liver? Well, how about cliques in the church? How about cliques in the church? By the way, doesn't that just sound wrong to you? I mean, you know, if there are two words that we would say to ourselves, these words should never be found in the same sentence. It would be click and church, right? And yet if I would ask you to raise your hand this morning, how many of you have ever been in a church? Don't do it. Don't raise your hand. How many have ever been in church where there were clicks? We would raise our hands. You know what a clique is? A clique is a group of people who feel so self-sufficient that they exclude others they don't need. And how can you tell if you're a part of a clique? One simple question. One question will reveal it. Who do you spend all your time with? Any different ages? Education levels, ethnicities or races, 
Any different economic levels or social levels? If all we have time for is Christians just like us, we may well be part of a clique. And you know why we are? Because we feel superior. How many think we ought to repent of that? I think so. How about this? Excluding believers with average talent. Not everyone is a soloist. We all agree with that. Not everyone can sing in a trio. We accept that. But you know what? Many are good enough to sing in a group, aren't they? Do we welcome them? Do we encourage them? Do we find room for their talent? Not everyone in a church is a good chairperson. That takes a very special skill. But many work well as committee members. Have we told them their value to us? In fact, if you are a chairperson of a committee, one of your greatest responsibilities is to minister to the people on that committee, letting them know how important they are to the work of your committee and the work of the church. That's one of your greatest duties, that they know they're valued. Do you know the number one way to keep from treating people like chopped liver is revealed in these verses it is to affirm their value. Did you notice in verse 23 it says, those we think less honorable. Did you notice the word we? We think they're less honorable? That's man's view. That's how we might view them. But what is God's view? Look at verse 22. God's view is those people are indispensable. That's God's view. And when we start seeing and affirming other believers as God views them, you know what happens? Their value goes up and our importance goes down. A few weeks ago when we started taping our services as COVID-19 began, I noticed that the front of our pulpit was very, very plain. And so I made one phone call. And as a result of that phone call, some very lovely decorations showed up in front of our pulpit. Decorations that have been replaced and put there week after week after week. How many of you think this morning that an attractive sanctuary is kind of necessary? We have an attractive God, don't we? Place where He's worshipped ought to be attractive. How many would say an eye for decorations is a pretty valuable skill? I don't have that skill. If it was left up to me, you know what? This would be a pretty drab place. It really would. And I'm grateful for somebody who most of us this morning have no idea who I made that phone call to has an eye for lovely decorations. You see, when we value everyone in the body as indispensable, their value goes up. 
our self-importance goes down. Now, here's the fourth implication of the church being a spirit-created body. God has a plan for harmonious body life. God has a plan for harmonious body life. You see, we are called together as a church to body life, and God has not left that up to us to figure out how to create that. God has a plan for that, and that plan is found right here. Look at verse 25. The Bible says that there may be no division in the body. That's God's desire for us. That's God's wish for us. Uh, Let me ask you this morning, have you ever had a division in your body? Uh, The last time I tried to ride a scooter, my brain, my eyes, and my hands said, go forward. My legs and my feet said, let's do a flip. And I went flying. And I was in pain for a week. And I want to tell you, it's no fun having a division in your body, is it? When one part of your body goes one way and the other part goes another way. Now I want you to understand what he's saying here. God does not want his body, the church, to be working against itself. God does not want us as a church to be doing a flip because one part of the body is going a direction that is different than the other part of the body. And you know what he's done? He's given us a plan for body life. He tells us, do these things and you will have a church that experiences harmonious body life. What are those things? Well, let's look at them for just a moment. Number one, the more honored members should honor the less honored members. The more honored members should honor the less honored members. Are you a person here who's visible? You're prominent? You have importance? Then your responsibility is to find somebody who doesn't have those things and honor that person. Now, what do we do with parts of our body that we don't want anyone else to see? What do we do? We put clothes on them, don't we? In fact, in verse 23, when he says, we bestow greater honor on them, the word bestow means to clothe. It means to put a garment around. And the greater modesty that he talks about at the end of verse 23, that's the modesty he's talking about that comes from putting clothes on a part of the body. Um, Do you know what all of us here this morning do not want to see? You don't want to see my big toe. You don't want to see the one that has sort of an ugly uh, toenail on it. And uh, like most big toes, it also has a tendency to stink a little bit. And so you don't want to see that. But you know what someone did for me some time ago? Gave me a pair of fine shoes. And I want to tell you, My big toe never looks so good. 
You know what I've done? I've honored my toe by dressing it up in fine shoes. Now God says, verse 24, look at the end of verse 24. God says, give greater honor to the part that lacked it in your church. I've composed your body in such a way that you give greater honor to the unpresentable parts. Now he says, in the church, you do the same thing. When I was a student in Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, there was an old man who used to audit night school classes. His name was Charlie. And Charlie was always alone. I never saw any family members. You know how I learned Charlie had a colostomy bag? One night as he was coming to class, his colostomy bag broke and he leaked all down the hallway. Brothers and sisters, you ever seen an old man humiliated? He started trying to clean it up and I was working the desk. I said, Charlie, I said, I know where there's a mop. I said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. He was so grateful. In our school, we had a very popular professor by the name of Dr. Goddard. He used to take Charlie to the coffee cove and have coffee with him. What was he doing? He was honoring Charlie, wasn't he? Dr. Goddard never had coffee with me. I didn't need honor, did I? Charlie did. Let me ask you this morning, are you prominent, visible, esteemed? Who's your Charlie? Who's your Charlie? That's how you create body life in a church. Second, people who need care, get care. People who need care, get care. Look at verse 25. That the members may have the same care for one another. Nothing draws a church together like caring for each other when we need it. So when we hear someone would like to get to church but they don't drive, what do we do? We make sure they get a ride. When people need care, we make sure they get care. And that's what creates harmonious body life. And then notice number three, suffer with those who suffer and rejoice with those who rejoice. Look at verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Do you know the times when people feel cared for the most are the best times of their lives and the what? The worst times of their lives. 
There's an old Swedish proverb, and many of you know it. If you don't know it, you need to know it. This Swedish proverb says this, A joy shared is double the joy. A sorrow shared is what? Half the sorrow. When people are celebrating, something great has happened, you show up. The joy is doubled, right? And when somebody is hurting and suffering because the worst has happened, you show up and what happens? That sorrow is lessened. Brothers and sisters, show up at those times. Show up at those times. When people are celebrating, show up. When people are hurting, show up. And we will create the harmonious body life that God desires. Do you see what a church is? A church is a Holy Spirit created body. We have a supernatural connection with one another. And what are the implications of that? What are the results in a local fellowship? Well, no believer is ever treated as inferior. God's sovereign wisdom places us where He wants us to be, and we accept that decision. No believer ever acts like I'm superior and, and you're just chopped liver. And finally, God has a plan for harmonious body life. And when we follow that plan, the church is the way He created it to be. Many of us know that Watchman Nee was a great Christian leader of the Chinese church under Chinese communism. Watchman Nee gave his life for the Chinese church and he died in prison at the hands of the communists. Here's what that wonderful man of God said about the church. Alone, I cannot serve the Lord effectively. And he will spare no pains to teach me this. He will bring things to an end, allowing doors to close and leaving me ineffectively knocking my head against a wall until I realize I need the help of the body as well as the help of the Lord. Have we realized that? We need the help of the body as well as the help of the Lord. And God will spare no pains to teach us that. Can we bow together and thank Him? Let's bow together and let's thank Him. Father, we thank you for the presence of your Spirit amongst us. We thank you for every believer who has come to the foot of the cross and found eternal life by faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus. 
And we thank you, Lord, for your great wisdom that you have molded us into a body where your very spirit dwells and we are members one of another. And we thank you that you have a wonderful plan whereby as we operate according to your wisdom and our understanding of what the church is and who each person in the church truly belongs to, that there is a marvelous harmony and love and consideration and care and joy that can characterize the people of God. Lord, we love you today for your wisdom. We love you for your salvation. We love you for the people that are sitting around us this morning. We love you for gathering us back together where we can truly be the church. And we continue to ask that you will help us to reflect the character of God in the world that he has made as we minister his truth and love amongst each other that others might see and adore our Lord and Savior. We ask these things now for Jesus' wonderful sake. Amen.